0: So it's, it's great to be back home. The, the last time I preached was on Christmas Eve and I, I wanna take a moment to celebrate uh, how very special that day was here at Christ United Methodist Church. If you were at the 6 p.m. service, I know many of you were, then you uh, know it was packed. In fact, there were, there were more than 2,000 people here for the 6 p.m. service, uh, 2,061 to be exact as far as we know that's the most people that we've ever had in this room for a service we had as many extra chairs as we're allowed to put out in the back and we still had people standing uh, along the walls on the floor here and in the, the balcony we're already talking about needing a second service next year with uh, the choir and orchestra obviously that was uh, very appealing for folks and we're excited about that and then My family came back for the 10 p.m. service at which the youth choir was singing. There were 450 people here for that service. Uh, In fact, all in all, uh, we were just shy of 4,000 people worshiping throughout the day here at Christ United Methodist Church on Christmas Eve. It was amazing. If you're wondering, it's 345 days until next Christmas Eve, (laughs) and I am counting them down. And then bright and early on Christmas morning, my family took off for family vacation. Uh, It was wonderful, uh, but it is great to be back home with our church family. So over the holidays, I had a fair amount of time on airplanes, fair amount of uh, downtime for reading, and something uh, pretty remarkable happened several times over the past few weeks. Our subject for this new sermon series came up just Coincidentally, or uh, you know, providentially, as I was doing non-church things, so the day before Christmas Eve, uh, my oldest son Max and I went to see Les Mis at Fair Park. Some of y'all saw that one too. It was a great, great production of Les Mis, which is my favorite musical of all time. Anyway, it never fails to move me to tears. Uh, and I was reminded that the the epic story of Jean Valjean is at, is essentially about the themes of this sermon series. The the show explores the most important questions with which human beings wrestle. Uh, It's just a brilliant uh, musical. And then on the last day of vacation, I finished rereading uh, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, the first one in the Harry Potter series. I'm planning to, to reread all of the Harry Potter books over the next year or so. It's another saga that I love. Whitney and I have read them with our boys. Of course, we've seen the movies, and I'm sure you know, it's about a, a young boy who's uh, coming of age and, and confronting the fundamental questions with which he, every human being wrestles. It's not quite as high tone as Les Mis but the the questions that Harry faces are familiar and relevant to us all, I think. And then, uh, on the plane, to and from vacation, um, I rewatched the first three movies in a series that I've already seen once, and uh, I really did go back and forth whether or not to tell you all this, I'm a little sheepish about it, Um, because it's not nearly as sophisticated, it's not at all theologically sound, nor does it uh, explore the lofty themes of Les Mis, or Harry Potter, it's actually it's actually terribly violent. Uh, it's based on the opposite of Christ-like culture, but I do know for a fact that some of you have seen these movies. Um, the John Wick series is, <laughs> it's pretty entertaining. Uh, I wouldn't watch it with my boys or my wife, for that matter, so I watched it on the plane, on my phone, you know, with my headphones in. But as a Gen X guy, I certainly re- uh, relate to Keanu Reeves. He stars in the title role. Um, he is... Uh, professional, uh, let's just say criminal, who has been redeemed by love and is trying to escape his old life. Believe it or not, that little puppy on the left plays an important role in the first movie. And he's, he's wrestling with the same kind of existential crisis that's common uh, to, all, to all of us, although none of us uh, share his professional interests, hopefully. <laughs> Somebody else seen it, clearly. Um, there, are, there are fundamental questions that face us all. Questions with which we we wrestle, uh, questions about which God cares very deeply. And the great art of every age, novels, musicals, movies, poetry, helps us to explore these questions. As does, of course, our faith. Our faith being the uh, the most important source for the answers we hope to find, because the God who created us has a very clear idea of what God desires for each of us. So it helps set the stage for, the, for this series. We're going to read um, one of the more beloved psalms in the canon, Psalm 139. It's one of the recommended psalms for this year. Uh, I'm going to read the first half now, and then we'll come back and read a little bit la- uh, the rest of it later. Listen, friends, for the word of God as it is proclaimed by God's servant, the psalmist. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night, Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. This is the Word of God for the people of God. So there are 150 Psalms in our Bible. Uh, All of them are um, important. They all offer something that edifies our souls. They give us Uh, really a unique perspective in that almost all of them are written in the first person singular, uh, and in many cases the psalmist is in direct conversation with God. And of the 150 psalms, there are a handful, they're all important, but there are a handful that are truly spiritual masterpieces with verses that have comforted God's faithful since they were written. Psalm 23 obviously comes to mind, falls in this category. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's surely the most read of the Psalms. And then there's the, uh, the opening verse of Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? And then the last verse of Psalm 19 is a prayer that many pastors uh, paraphrase before preaching or pray to themselves before preaching. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord my rock, and my redeemer. There are others. As our text for today, Psalm 139, falls into this category um, of the most memorable psalms of the Bible. Chances are there's a phrase or a verse in here that you've heard before and are familiar with. My HarperCollins Study Bible subtitles Psalm 139 uh, The Inescapable God. And in it, the psalmist is clearly wrestling with the kind of existential crises that we all face at, at one point or another, sometimes many times throughout our lives. Scholars love to classify the psalms, but this one is uh, difficult to classify. There's a scholar named Bernard Anderson who points out that it has elements of a petition for help, which is one kind of psalm, and, and trust in God's care, which is another kind of psalm. It's got um, uh, Includes something like hymnic praise, like praise and thanksgiving. It includes a plea for innocence. It's interesting that that particular scholar classifies Psalm 139 as lament, but then he goes on to say, "Quote: Some regard it as a wisdom poem in praise of God, who is mysteriously present in one's innermost self." And to me, uh, this notion of Psalm 139 as a, a wisdom poem makes the most sense because the psalmist is wise enough to know that God is always with him. He says, you're acquainted with all my ways. You hem me in behind and before. Where can I go from your spirit? And that, that inescapability of God is actually a double-edged sword, spiritually speaking, because it means that, that God is, is with us in all of our struggles, to be sure. The end of that part of the reading I just read tells us that God is with us in our darkness, for example, which is a comforting and hope-giving truth. But that also means that God knows when we're not walking the path that God desires for us. God knows uh, when we're acting in accordance with our own selfish desires instead of with Christ-like love and selflessness. God knows uh, when we're straying from the path that God intends for us. And that makes Psalm 139 actually the perfect text to set the stage for our New Year's sermon series. You may have noticed that uh, every year in January, we kick off the new year with a a sermon series that's inspired by a book so that anyone uh, who wants to take a deeper dive on that material has the chance to do so. And this year, that book is called Three Big Questions That Shape Your Future. Now, if you're interested in in a book study, you've probably seen this on our cumc.com slash connect page but uh, Reverend Julie Henson is going to lead the in-person study of this book that's going to be at noon on Tuesdays that starts this week and we also have an online version of that study at 7 p.m. on Mondays starts tomorrow it's led by Kathy Taylor and Adele Holder. Now if you're um, not going to join one of those studies no worries you may want to consider reading this book with your Sunday school class or a, a personal book study or just read it on your own, because there's a reason that so much great art, novels, musicals, movies, poetry, um, centers around these questions. It's because they're the the fundamental questions with which every human being wrestles, and this happens throughout our lives. There's actually a version of this book for, for parents of teenagers and for uh, anyone who works with teenagers, it's called Three Big Questions That Change Every Teenager making the most of your conversations and connections. And last, uh, last fall, my wife Whitney and I facilitated a study of that book with other parents of youth in our church. And we found it to be um, both fascinating and helpful and more to the point for this series. We realized that all of us wrestle with these three big questions throughout our lives at different seasons, um, at different stages, for different reasons. And so I was delighted to learn that there's an adult version of this book as well. And so at this point, uh, you know, two-thirds of the way into the sermon, you may be thinking, great, Chris, what are the three questions, right? I mean, that seems to make sense. Fantastic. Glad you asked. Um, I'll get to that in a minute. (laughs) We're going to finish reading the text first. So this is Psalm 139, verses 13 to 24. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. I try to count them, They are more than the sand. I come to the end. I am still with you. And then the psalm takes a little darker turn here. Oh, that you would kill the wicked, O God, and that the bloodthirsty would depart from me. Those who speak of you maliciously and lift themselves up against you for evil, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. And then there's a turn back. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The inescapable God, according to the psalmist, knows us before we're born and leads us through life uh, to the way, uh, the way everlasting is the way the psalm puts it. You have searched me and known me, he says, before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? God is our constant companion our entire lives. The question is, uh, what kind of life are we offering to the God who is always with us? Now, as Methodists, we believe that we are uh, free to respond to God's call upon our lives in whatever way we choose. God's plan for us, to use that language, God's desire for us is that we're in a relationship with God and that in that relationship, we'll continue to grow in love for God and others. But the gift of free will means that uh, it's up to us to respond to God through the way that we live our lives, which brings us to those fundamental questions with which every human being must wrestle. Over the coming weeks, we're going to turn to the Gospel of John and to Paul's first letter to the Corinthians to explore uh, the three big questions, which are number one, who am I? Which, of course, is a question of identity. Uh, Number two, where do I fit? Which is a a question of belonging. And number three, uh, what difference can I make? Which is a question of purpose. And these are questions that we return to again and again as we seek to live faithful and meaningful and purposeful lives. And what our faith tells us, what what Psalm 139 tells us is that the inescapable God who is our constant companion and guide will lead us to the answers um, if we're willing to follow. And the great art of every age, novels and musicals and movies and poetry, helps us to, to think about and explore these three big questions. In the late 1800s, there was an English writer uh, who was very much interested in these questions. His name was Francis Thompson, and he was uh, raised Roman Catholic when he was young. He thought he would become a priest. He was a deeply faithful uh, person, but his parents insisted that he follow his father's path into medicine. And so he, he went to medical school, he studied for almost eight years, um, he had no interest in practicing medicine. <laughs> and because parents have no control over their children, he never did pract- practice medicine. He, he even tried to enlist in the army to get out of his medical commitment, but he was rejected because of his small stature and his frail health. And so he, he ran away from this path that his parents had chosen. Him, and he moved to, to London to pursue what, uh, what he thought God was truly calling him to do, which was to become a writer. He moved to the city with no money, and as the result of, of opium treatment, which had been prescribed to him by doctors for his health problems, he became a drug addict, as so many people did in that day. He lived for three years on the streets of London, homeless and, and destitute. And it was during this period of struggle, this period of um, wrestling, this period of pursuing the answers to what we're calling the the three big questions of life, that Thompson wrote a collection of poetry that caught the attention of publishers who helped him get off the streets and helped him to make writing his full-time profession. As a deeply faithful man, his most famous work, uh, a poem called The Hound of Heaven, in the style of Psalm 139 reflected on the inescapability of the God who never gives up on us. And through his writing, Thompson ended up inspiring a generation of other writers. Uh, The famous Eugene O'Neill could recite The Hound of Heaven from memory. J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote The Lord of the Rings uh, and The Hobbit, Uh, named Thompson as a profound influence on his writing. G.K. Chesterton eulogized him when he died of tuberculosis at the age of 47. And even the US Supreme Court uh, used a phrase from Thompson's work in their landmark decision, Brown versus the Board of Education of Topeka, Kansas. The hound of heaven opens in the spirit of Psalm 139 with, with Thompson writing, I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind and in the midst of tears. But as one who had struggled and, and wrestled with the most important questions and, and persevered, Thompson knew that God was always with him. He wrote, those strong feet followed, (laughs) followed after, but with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy. Because this deeply faithful man knew what our faith promises us, which is that wherever we are in our spiritual journey, our God is with us. Friends, the most important questions in our lives, the most important questions of our lives are best answered in the context of our relationship with God. Psalm 139 assures us that God is ever with us in the questioning. In the coming weeks, we'll seek those answers together. Thanks be to God. Amen.